Some years back, I began this journey that brought me to who I am today. Uh, you know, I, I guess people would say that happens at birth, but uh, I made a choice somewhere along the way to follow in the way of Jesus. And I was pretty sure I was really grounded and knew exactly what that meant. It was clear to me. I would just memorize scripture, which I've done a lot of, and as long as I could quote it and be sure to maintain all of the laws that I could figure out were really laws, except for the ones that Jesus suspended as laws and maybe wasn't really a law anymore, but was just kind of a suggestion, you know, I could figure it all out. And so, um, and so I was fairly certain that I had it figured out. And then about six years ago, I began this practice called Centering Prayer. And I began to fall deeper and deeper and deeper into a connection, a sense of connection with God, which is really delightful, except that it can't just be a head connection anymore. It can't just be what I know about God. Because let me tell you, I was so concerned that to be a pastor, I really needed to know a lot about God, so much. You know, my undergraduate degree is in religious studies. I uh, did four years of seminary. I did every possible, uh, you know, continuing education I could for long periods of time so I could soak in all of the possible knowledge. I learned Hebrew, I taught myself Greek because that's the languages of the Bible, and I just knew if I knew enough about God, I could be an expert. Only the problem is I was an expert in knowing something about God, not knowing God, and it's not the same thing. It would be as if Linda wrote a nice journal handed it to me 27 years ago, and I kept reading it and studying the person she was 27 years ago and just expecting that I really knew her because I was reading this book about her, whether it was autobiographical or biographical, that that would be enough. But somehow through centering prayer and reading the scripture at perhaps what I believe is a deeper level, I came to realize I didn't know enough about God because I had only come to know God right here in my rational mind. It was a subject-object relationship. God was the object of knowledge which I was acquiring as the subject. And God wants to know me subject to subject. God wants to know me person to person, connection to connection. God wants me to be open to all of that and in order to do that, I've got to have something bigger. But first I have to admit something. Last week we talked about the first step in 12 steps. We're, we're doing a 12-week sermon series. That may sound daunting, uh, but uh, it, it isn't that daunting. I encourage you, if you want, to read along with us. We are looking at this book by Richard Rohr called Breathing Underwater, and he talks about the spirituality of the 12 steps. It takes the 12 steps that were originally founded for Alcoholics Anonymous and can be found in the big book. Um, uh, and he talks about their spiritual implications. Last week was really important because unless we can truly admit that we're powerless on our own to make our lives manageable, unless we can recognize, I cannot manage my life, I cannot make it right on my own, then there's no point in moving on and trying to have any kind of relationship with God. 
because the second step is came to believe that a higher power could restore sanity to my life or restore me to sanity. Well, as long as I think I can restore me to sanity, I'm going to keep working on that. <laughs> as long as I think I'm full of power to restore myself and all of the unmanageable parts of my life, as long as I believe that I can take care of it, there's no need for step two. We can just throw that by the wayside. I don't need to believe God can bring sanity to my life because I don't need God. The truth is, until we recognize that without God we're nothing, and with God we're everything, we're part of all that God's doing, that it's love that keeps me alive in this moment. It is, if God were to choose to stop holding me up in love, I would disappear right in the midst of this space that we're in. If God didn't uphold and continue to hold the universe in God's eternal hand, it would cease to exist. That is what I have come to see and believe. God makes it possible for me to be in this space and makes it possible for my unmanageable life to be manageable. But not on my own. Not on my own. I used to be the answer guy. These days I find I say I don't know more and more and more. At some point, just any question you're going to ask is going to be, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's not quite that bad, but it feels like that sometimes. Because the deeper and the more I read, and, and the crisis has been ever so slightly exacerbated by being a part of what you know I've entered into the living school, because we are reading all of these wonderful writings by the early church fathers and mothers. Uh, they're often called the patristics because they're mainly church fathers that are kept so early church patristics, people that you've never heard of, I had never heard of until I started reading about them, Maximus the Confessor. He keeps coming up, uh, and he seems to know a little bit about what he's talking about. But sometimes you start reading all this stuff, and it just starts, if God is this big, how did I ever manage to keep that God in my neat little tiny package? <laughs> uh, because God just keeps getting bigger, and I keep seeing God more you know at, you know the interesting one of the songs we sang was about seeing the beauty of God's you know just let me see the beauty of your face in glory and I'm coming to realize that I see the beauty of God's face in glory when I look at all of you that a piece of the eternal God you bear that in your soul you are the images of God you may not like it you may not be very good at being in the likeness of God yet but in terms of the image, that's not something you can get rid of just by, uh, you know, flushing it somehow or other. You bear the image of God. And so if I look closely enough, I'm surprised by who I see. God looking back at me. Not all of God. I'm not saying you are God. But I'm saying a piece of God, a piece of what is good and eternal about God, a finite piece of the infinite in each of us and we are meant to know that God but in order to get there we have to recognize we cannot do this on our own this is not about me this is not the James program for success and as much as I'd like to give you the James program for or the James or the James program for success our program for success will not get you very far I'm sure theirs might get you further but only God's 
program for Because what I think is success isn't what God thinks is success. God chose what was weak to shame the strong, what was foolish to shame the wise. I am becoming so wise. I am so stinking wise now that clearly there's a lot of foolishness on the way in my life. A lot of foolishness. And I need to give in to that and trust that God, someone bigger than me, only someone bigger than me. But the only way we can come to believe is recognize our power, powerlessness and then be open to the movement of God within us and not just in our intellect and rational mind, but in our heart and, yes, even in our bodies. Because the whole healing of the person requires the whole person. I'm going to read to you a piece. It's a farewell uh, passage. It's kind of... You know, for so long, you read a letter of Paul or you read a gospel and you get to the tail end and it's got like some kind of throwaway. You think it's a throwaway. And then suddenly it comes to mean so much more to you. I'm looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And it says this, May God himself, the God of peace, the God of shalom, make you holy in every part, and keep you sound in spirit, soul, and body without fault when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. He who calls you can be trusted. He will do it. He who calls you can be trusted. He will do it. Not I'll do it. <laughs> you know, periodically, have, have you ever noticed that sometimes when you're having an active prayer, you've got something you need God to fix, you throw it on God's table, say, I need you to fix this for me. And when God doesn't move on your timetable, you jump right in there and try to fix it yourself. Have you ever noticed that that happens in your life? I am busy fixing the thing that God hasn't fixed yet. You know, God, I, pu I put this on your table. You know, I gave it to you 15 minutes ago. Why isn't there an answer yet? Clearly, I'm going to have to do something about this. Now, this is the God who's been around since before time even existed. Since before time even existed, that God has been around. So let's break this pieces, these pieces apart and hear what this passage says to us because it's the tail end of this letter to Thessalonica by Paul. And it sounds like a farewell, but there's a lot wrapped up in it. May God himself, the God of wholeness, the God of peace. You see, when we think of peace, we think of the absence of war, the absence of violence, the absence of something. But actually, peace from a biblical standpoint is the presence of wholeness, completeness. Some of the people in my life that I've encountered that had the greatest sense of wholeness and peace were about to die on the oncology ward of cancer because they had made peace with God and family and self. And despite the fact that their body betrayed them, their spirit and mind had not. They had made peace. Now, I've also met people on the oncology ward, no sense of peace at all. They saw the end coming, and they were just mad. Mad, 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 mad. And not just a little mad, like really mad. Like you go into their room and feel madness coming off as soon as you open the door. 
you know, it kind of burns your skin almost a little bit if you have any intu intuition whatsoever. But the truth is, may God himself, the God who wants you to be whole, make you holy in every part. And God is the only one that can do that. God is the only one that can do that and keep you sound in spirit, soul, and body. The whole package. Now, for us to get to this second step where we can come to believe a lot of work's got to be done on us. Some of it by us, but most of it is just being open to letting God do something. Sometimes I grasp so tightly onto what I am sure I know that even if the truth showed up in a, you know, right now in front of me, I couldn't see it because I'm convinced that the truth's right here in my hand that I'm grasping so tight. And I'd miss it. So it requires that my mind be open for God to move in there. But it also requires that my heart be open. Now, any one of you who's ever risked and had betrayal come your way in some form or other, know that that whole risking thing with the heart is hard to do. It may have seemed really exciting when you were a teenager and all of the hormones were rushing and you didn't know any better. You know, well, this, is, this love thing is great. <laughs> well, hormones may be great, <laughs> but the hard work of everyday loving somebody and being together and sharing life, that is great and hard. Really, really hard. So when it comes apart and you've invested all this hard work in making it work, it comes unglued, then that part of keeping the heart open, it's kind of difficult to do. It kind of closes up a little bit. You say, I've got to protect this thing. I'm not going to be, you know, bleeding heart anymore. I want to protect myself against these dangerous things. And instead, we protect ourselves against experiencing life at its fullest. I'm not saying that we don't need time to recover from broken heart, but if we, if we spend the rest of our life living with our brokenness, never moving beyond, never seeking to recover, never seeking the transformation that comes from the pain that is the broken heart, then we never get to the other side. The heart is never open again. And God has a really tough time working on closed hearts. You know, as big as God is and as powerful God is, God refuses to work on you if you don't want God to do it. God will not change you. You must be willing to be changed. You must be willingly the clay, at least from my perspective as I understand the biblical message. God leaves it in your hands to choose. That is up to you. The last piece, of course, is the body. And you say, but James, how do I keep my body open? Do you real? I was, I'm reading a book now about trauma and the body, and it's called The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score. Do you know when you are emotionally hurt, when you are uh, intellectually hurt, spiritually hurt, and physically hurt, you keep a memory of it in your body in different parts of it. Just feel it when you start to get scared. And it comes back up from some childhood fear that you had. And you feel it in your gut. Or you feel it in your chest. 
or feel it in your arm or in your loins or in your gut at the deepest level. You feel it somewhere in your body. The body remembers. It's not just in here that you remember things. Your whole body carries the memory. It keeps the score. So you've got to learn to let go of it all the way down to your body. Now this sounds like, uh, you know, I've got all the answers because, of course, I told you before, I know, but I don't really know. All I can say to you is that we have to find ways, I have to find ways to be open to what God wants to do in me or God can't or won't do it. And it's not enough for me to know God here. I, it, it would be really safe for me to just know God here because I could memorize a few scriptures, I could spout them at just the right moment. In a good argument, I can win. In a bad argument, I can win. I don't know that there's such thing as actually a good argument anyway. Uh, but I know how to win. I know how to spout information. But in the end, nobody wins then because love doesn't win. Love is pushed down in those moments. I believe that one of the biggest challenges with the gospel is that Jesus believes this is a win-win world. And we insist on living in a win-lose world. In order for me to win, you have to lose. In order for that position to win, this position has to lose. And God gave us enough abundance that we could all win if we would all give just a little bit, if there were space in our hearts, in our minds, in our world for us to just learn to love. Now, if I believe 1 Corinthians 13, it tells me that love never fails. Man, that takes a lot of faith and trust <laughs> because it sure looks like to me love loses a lot. <laughs> and maybe sometimes losing is what love needs to do in order to win. I don't know. But what I do know is that I'm powerless to straighten my life out. And I've come to believe at a deeper level than just in my mind that all I can do is fall into the abyss, the eternal abyss that is God's love and trust that he will catch me. Trust that he will catch me. The last six months of the living school has been stirring, 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 stirring. Linda can tell you. Sometimes she has to sit at the breakfast table after I've had a quiet sit, you know, and say all these things to her at breakfast. And she just looks at me. She's eating her oatmeal. Just looks at me. Keeps eating her oatmeal. And she keeps loving me because there's all this goop going on inside of me. And the only way I'm going to make it to the other side of all these readings, which, by the way, up until three weeks ago, I was ahead on, and now I am so far behind. Two weeks. Well, not two weeks anymore. One week. But it's because they're stirring up so much stuff. And all the things that I thought I knew, I wonder if I know anymore. Because the early church fathers said something different altogether. <laughs> and the medieval mystics said something else altogether. 
and uh, some of the people that I thought I trusted. The way that I was taught to read the Bible may not have been right. There may be more to the Bible than I ever thought there was. This is messed up. <laughs> In a good way. You see, I like neatness and control and security and certainty. And all I'm certain of anymore is that God absolutely loves me even when everything is coming unraveled. And I think that's what step two is about. Coming to a place slowly as we erode away all the barriers we've placed between ourselves and God. Coming to a place where maybe I can believe that there's a higher power that can restore me to sanity, but maybe not sanity the way I think sanity looks. Pastors having all the answers. Come to me. Come sit with me in my study, and I will answer for you all the questions of your dreams. That's what I imagined my job was some time ago. But apparently it's not my job. It's to sit with you while you struggle with the same questions I do. And to love you in the midst of it in the same way God loves us in our vulnerability and brokenness. And does not ever give up on us. That's the God I've come to believe in. And the sanity looks really different than the sanity I thought I had 25 years ago. Can you come to that place where you recognize you can't fix your life? You can't fix the way you think about things. You can't fix the way you feel about things. But maybe if you trust something bigger than you, someone bigger than you, that all the craziness won't be magically fixed, but maybe a place where you could find peace. May God himself, the God of peace, Make you holy in every part and keep you sound in spirit, soul, and body without fault with when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. He who calls you can be trusted. He will do it. And if you can trust that, come to a place where you trust that. The more you trust it, the more God can do it. So, your assignment this week. Sounds a little overwhelming and big. Uh, your assignment for the rest of your lives. Seed more and more of your sense of control, of needing to have ownership of everything in your life, and trust that God loves you and is working through you. And if you'll just be a little bit more willing to be clay, can shape you 